Merkel Media. Welcome back to another motherfucking episode of Kill the Mockingbirds with your host, Sean Chris, Joel Thomas, playing the role as Ben Affleck. I'm playing Ben Affleck, who's playing Batman, who's also playing Jack Ryan. I'm inside the PSYOP, inside the PSYOP of the PSYOP. I'm CIA behind the CIA, who's also behind the CIA. Let's go, baby. Brat, brat. Yeah, you know, we got to be live action roles every now and then, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we do it. Man, we're going to have a, I think it's going to be a real great episode today. But before we get into that, let's get everything out in the front, right? You can go follow us at Kill the Mockingbirds podcast on Instagram and you could become a subscriber for only $4.99 a month. We got tons of videos up there. Joel has some great ones coming up. I mean, like, again, you don't even, you're not even ready. I mean, if you, if your cheeks ain't tight yet, oh, they're about to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, I got over 30 videos right now in the subscriber only section. Um, and I do subscriber chats at least twice a week, sometimes three times a week. I let people know stuff that's happening before it happens. Uh, a lot of them knew about the Skinwalker film when the premiere's dropping, which is going to be the first of next month in Washington State when I am on my trek hunting down the spider Bigfoot with Wes from Sasquatch Chronicles, with Tony from The Confessionals, with Merkel Media, how we do it. So it's going to be crazy, man. We're going to do a live presentation of the film for people live. It's going to be like a pre-premiere. -pre -pre for the people to buy tickets to it. So it's gonna be pretty dope. We haven't released the times and dates yet because it's gonna be more closer to the time. But I was telling the people in our private IG chat for the subscribers, they already knew ahead of time kind of what's going on. So we're letting everybody know that. Also, uh, I wanna read a couple of great five-star reviews. Yo, appreciate all the five-star reviews on Apple. I'm loving it. All the five stars you guys have been giving us on Spotify too. But I love Apple because they can always give the cool comments with it. And I just want to read a couple, man, because some of these are just really good. This one is really cool. This is from Grand Eloquent. I consider this podcast my happy little mistake as I happen upon this purely by mistake while looking for another podcast. However, I wonder if there's something wrong with me as I have yet to get my butt cheeks tight. Is it possible I'm just as brilliant as you guys? Most definitely not. Sometimes I crack myself up. However, I like to think that my IQ has definitely gone up a few points since listening to your podcast. I work seven days a week and I'm on the road a lot. I truly appreciate all the effort you put in your podcast. It is the only one that I can listen to from start to finish and not skip. And I've enjoyed going back and listening to the older ones. Thank you, Grand Eloquent. That was fire. And we love hearing stuff like that from you guys because... We know that we're connecting with you. And listen, we said it before. 
Right now, while you're listening to the podcast, you can go leave a five-star review. You can put a comment in there as well. What you guys don't understand is it also helps the algorithm. It helps boost the algorithm where we get shown to more audiences, to more people. Like this guy, Grant Eloquent. He wasn't even looking for us. He just happened yeah, to found see an accident <laughs> in the algorithm. I was like, what's this all about? He caught on to it, loves it. We love you guys, too. We appreciate it. We're going to keep reading uh, these great five stars uh, every week when we get them. Yeah, because we really appreciate the love. And I will say, you're probably just as brilliant or more brilliant than us because I, I, we don't really tote or pat our backs on anything. We just say whatever we want. <laughs> I don't know if we're brilliant. And I, I got to uh, remind everybody to check out our music. You know what I mean? You got... Joel Thomas, Sean Chris on all music platforms. And for some that don't know or maybe new to the podcast, every single episode, you will either hear a Joel Thomas or a Sean Chris song. Sometimes a Joel Thomas and Sean Chris song together. <laughs> you know what I mean? And and the one that you really got hit on hammer on because you were talking about uh the Skinwalker film. 30 hours to Utah. Go check that out. It's on all streaming platforms. You put Joel Thomas, Sean Chris on any music platform. You will definitely find us. And we appreciate the support. And there's nothing but love, man. When uh, we called to action, we appreciate all you guys. We called for a five-star action and some comments. And you guys delivered beyond, man. <laughs> yeah, it was really wild, man. And we love to see it. Keep running it up for us. I say this all the time. We have thousands and thousands of listeners. We see the downloads. We see all the people that are following us. And it's like, if we could get 100 people a week just to go spend 30 seconds to put down a five-star rating and review, that would run the algorithm. So even more people would jump on board. And again, we love you guys. You guys are great. And we're getting a lot of love, even on Instagram, man. We're getting a lot of love in the comments, uh, especially when we put a lot of our controversial stuff out there that people don't really know where it's coming from. We got a lot of supporters that jump in real quick and and defend our honor, even though, you know, we don't ask for it, but we appreciate it a lot. And, and I will say this uh, for the people that leave the one star reviews. This is what I say to you. No, words are bullshit. They're just useless sounds that we make with our stupid mouths. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Booyah, dog. Booyah, dog. But man, today, man, we uh, we wanted to get back almost to the classics, right? That's how I kind of look at it. These are kind of like the classics. You know, we delve into a little bit of everything. And, you know, we get a little weird at times, but I think it's good to get back to the classics. These are the type of episodes that you can definitely go share with anybody. And they can't, They, I mean, they'll still call you crazy, but you got, we got backup on backup of proof for days. You can look up every single thing of this. Um, we'll post some of the links, you know, in, in the Telegram. Follow us on Telegram, Kill the Mockingbirds on Telegram. But I thought it was important. You thought it was important since we both do music. We both like our our big movie guys we watched tons of movies throughout the years about the secret meeting that changed music and destroyed a generation and, and i thought it'd be interesting if you actually read the letter now this was a letter sent to i think it was hip-hop it was a hip-hop blog back hip -hop in like is red there you go yep perfect and what was it like in early 2000s like 2000 ish like nine somewhere around there yep. eight maybe a little bit sooner and i thought it would be good now this is going to be a you know the full letter. And I think this is what is going on in the music industry and in all entertainment. 
Yeah, man. You know, this was even touched on uh, briefly by Rolling Stone magazine as well. So this wasn't something that got really tossed under the bus. And I, in my mind, Sean, I kept wondering why mainstream would put it out there like that. I think it was some of that soft disclosure. I think that's what it was, really. You know what I mean? I think they they wanted to at least put it out there in a way that, hey, we're telling you guys what we're doing. It's back to that. We're going to tell you what we're doing, but you're too asleep to hear what we're saying. So I think that's what they did with this. I remember when this came out, man, it was big because, you know, you and I are, are really big into hip hop. We've done hip hop for years. So in the hip hop community, especially with guys like us, I think outside of the box, man, we were all over this. Like, I remember when it came out, man, me and the me and the homies were sitting there reading it like, oh, man, they're they're. they're 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 infiltrated. They've infiltrated us. So we're like, I knew it. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> I knew Tupac was gay. <laughs> and he is. <laughs> That's the hill I'm dying on. <laughs> you die on that one, and I'm dying on Trump telling Republicans are idiots. <laughs> but yeah, man, uh, I think you and I talked about it off air, and we were wondering, you know, should we read the whole thing? Should we, you know, just paraphrase it? I think I'm actually going to read the entire thing. I think it would be important for people that don't know about this story because it is older and it's kind of been shuffled under the rug at this point. Again, I think it was put out for a reason and they knew that people would just kind of shuffle it under the rug and they wouldn't really talk about it. So this was a letter that was sent in and it was anonymous. So again, it's, it doesn't have a name attached to it. The guy that sent it in wanted the information out, uh, but he didn't want to be attached to it. And as I read this, you'll understand why he didn't want his name attached to it. Uh, but it was significant enough for them to talk about in the mainstream, at least for a little bit. So I'm going to go ahead and start. Hello. After more than 20 years, I finally decided to tell the world what I witnessed in 1991, which I believe was one of the biggest turning points in popular music and ultimately American society. I have struggled for a long time weighing the pros and cons of making this story public as I was reluctant to implicate the individuals who were present that day. So I've simply decided to leave out names and all the details that may risk my personal well-being and that of those who were, like me, dragged into something they weren't ready for. Between the late 80s and early 90s, I was what you may call a decision maker with one of the more established companies in the music industry. I came from Europe in the early 80s and quickly established myself in the business. The industry was different back then. Since technology and media weren't accessible to people like they are today, the industry had more control over the public and had the means to influence them in any way it wanted. This may explain why in early 1991, I was invited to attend a closed-door meeting with a small group of music business insiders to discuss rap music's new direction. Little did I know that we would be asked to participate in one of the most unethical and destructive business practices I've ever seen. The meeting was held at a private residence on the outskirts of Los Angeles. I remember about 25 to 30 people being there, most of them familiar faces. Speaking to those I knew, we joked about the theme of the meeting as many of us did not care for rap music and failed to see the purpose of being invited to a small private gathering to discuss its future. Among the attendees was a small group of unfamiliar faces who stated themselves and made no attempt to socialize beyond their circle. Based on their behavior and formal appearances, they didn't seem to be in our industry. 
Our casual chatter was interrupted when we were asked to sign a confidentiality agreement, preventing us from publicly discussing the information presented during the meeting. Needless to say, this intrigued and in some cases disturbed many of us. The agreement was only a page long, but very clear on the matter and consequences, which stated that violating the terms would result in job termination. We asked several people what this meeting was about and the reason for such secrecy, but we couldn't find anyone who had answers for us. A few people refused to sign and walked out. No one stopped them. I was tempted to follow, but curiosity got the best of me. A man who was part of the unfamiliar group collected the agreements from us. Quickly after the meeting began, one of my industry colleagues, who shall remain nameless like everyone else, thanked us for attending. He then gave the floor to a man who only introduced himself by his first name and gave no further details about his personal background. I think he was the owner of the residence, but it was never confirmed. He briefly praised all of us for the success we have achieved in our industry and congratulated us for being selected as part of this small group of decision makers. At this point, I begin to feel slightly uncomfortable with the strangeness of this gathering. The subject quickly changed as the speaker went on to tell us that the respective companies we represented had invested in a very profitable industry which could become even more rewarding with their active involvement. He explained that the companies we worked for had invested millions into the building of privately owned prisons and their positions of influence in the music industry would actually impact the profitability of these investments. I remember many of us in the group immediately looking at each other in confusion. At the time, I didn't know what a private prison was, but I wasn't the only one. Sure enough, someone asked what these prisons were and what any of this had to do with us. We were told that these prisons were built by privately owned companies that received funding from the government based on the number of inmates. The more inmates, the more money the government would pay these prisons. It was also made clear to us that since these prisons are privately owned, as they become publicly traded, we'd be able to buy shares. Most of us were taken aback by this. Again, a couple people asked what this had to do with us. At this point, my industry colleague who had first opened the meeting took the floor again and answered our questions. He told us that since our employers had become silent investors in this prison business, it was now in their interest to make sure that these prisons remain filled. Our job would be able to make this happen by marketing music that promotes criminal behavior, rap being the music of choice. He assured us that this would be a great situation for us because rap music was becoming an increasingly profitable market for our companies. As employees, we'd also be able to buy personal stocks in these prisons. Immediately, silence came over the room. You could have heard a pin drop. I remember looking around to make sure I wasn't dreaming and saw half of the people would drop jaws. My daze was interrupted when someone shouted, is this a fucking joke? At this point, things became chaotic. Two of the men who were Part of the unfamiliar group grabbed the man who was shouted out and attempted to remove him from the house. A few of us, myself included, tried to intervene. One of them pulled out a gun and we all backed off. They separated us from the crowd and all four of us were escorted outside. My industry colleague who had opened the meeting earlier hurried out to meet us and reminded us that we had signed an agreement and would suffer the consequences of speaking about this publicly or even with those who attended the meeting. I asked him why he was involved with something this corrupt, and he replied that it was bigger than the music business and nothing we'd want to challenge without risking consequence. We all protested as he walked back into the house, and I remember word for word the last thing he said, it's out of my hands now, remember, you signed an agreement. He then closed the door behind him. The men rushed us to our cars and actually watched until we drove off. A million things were going through my mind as I drove away, and I eventually decided to pull over and park on a side street in order to collect my thoughts. 
I replayed everything in my mind repeatedly, and it seemed very surreal to me. I was angry with myself for not having taken a more active role in questioning what had been presented to us. I like to believe the shock of it all is what suspended my better nature. After what seemed like an eternity, I was able to calm myself enough to make it home. I didn't talk or call anyone that night. The next day, back at my office, I was visibly out of it, but blamed it on being under the weather. No one else in my department had been invited to the meeting, and I felt a sense of guilt for not being able to share what I had witnessed. I thought about contacting the other three who were kicked out of the house, but I didn't remember their names, and I thought that tracking them down would probably bring unwanted attention. I considered speaking out publicly at the risk of losing my job, but I realized I'd probably be jeopardizing more than my job and I wasn't willing to risk anything happening to my family. I thought about those men with guns and wondered who they were. I had been told that this was bigger than the music business and all I could do was let my imagination run free. There were no answers, no one to talk to. I tried to do a little bit of research on private prisons, but didn't uncover anything about the music business's involvement. However, the information I did find confirmed how dangerous the prison business really was. Days turned into weeks and weeks into months. Eventually, it was as if the meeting had never taken place. It all seemed surreal. I became more reclusive and stopped going to any industry events unless professionally obligated to do so. On two occasions, I found myself attending the same function as my former colleague. Both times, our eyes met, but nothing more was exchanged. As the months passed, rap music had definitely changed direction. I was never a fan of it, but even I could tell the difference. Rap acts that talked about politics or harmless fun were quickly fading away as gangster rap started dominating the airwaves. Only a few months had passed since the meeting, but I suspected the ideas presented that day had been successfully implemented. It was as if the order had been given to all major label executives. The music was climbing the charts and most companies were more than happy to capitalize on it. Each one was churning out their own gangster rap acts on an assembly line. Everyone bought into it, consumers included. Violence and drug use became a central theme in most rap music. I spoke to a few of my peers in the industry to get their opinions on the new trend, but was told repeatedly that it was all about supply and demand. Sadly, many of them even expressed that the music reinforced their prejudice of minorities. I officially quit the music business in 1993, but my heart had already left months before. I broke ties with the majority of my peers and removed myself from this thing I'd once loved. I took some time off, returned to Europe for a few years, and settled out of state and lived a quiet life away from the world of entertainment. As the years passed, I managed to keep my secret fearful of sharing it with the wrong person, but also a little ashamed of not having had the balls to blow the whistle. But as rap got worse, my guilt grew. Fortunately, in the late 90s, having the internet as a resource that wasn't at my disposal in the early days made it easier for me to investigate what is now labeled the prison industrial complex. Now that I have a greater understanding of how private prisons operate, things make much more sense than they ever have. I see how the cr criminalization of rap music played a big part in promoting racial stereotypes and misguided so many impressionable young minds in adopting these glorified criminal behaviors, which often lead to incarceration. 20 years of guilt is a heavy load to carry, but the least I can do now is share my story, hoping that fans of rap music realize how they've been used for the past two decades. Although I plan on remaining anonymous for obvious reasons, my goal now is to get this information out to as many people as possible. Please help me spread the word. Hopefully, others who attended the meeting back in 1991 will be inspired by this and tell their own stories. Most importantly, if only one life has been touched by my story, I pray it makes the weight of my guilt a little more tolerable. Thank you. Man, I, I imagine... Oh, uh, when I, he says the guys with guns, this is what they say. Dr. Pavel, I'm CIA. 
<laughs> no, yeah, like when I heard, and it's funny, like you said, um, I know this made the rounds again, but when I first heard this was when the internet was still new, you know, like when this blog, and I heard it from Rolling Stone originally because my buddy subscribed to it. He always had it and he, he brought it to our attention and we were like, whoa. And it was so easy to believe because everything he's saying, it's not really that wild to think of. And who also January, 1991 debuted with digital underground Tupac, you know what I mean? So that's kind of like where the seeds were planted, some of the seeds. And then, you know, a few years later, there was this other thing that was implemented. Hmm, I think he's president now, something like a 1994 crime bill that was like, specifically going after people that were rapping about things like this. And some of the things that people don't understand is hip hop was really like, you know, they always like to say, Hey, we're just rapping about, you know, what we see, what we live, the environment, which is true to an extent, but you could see this shift because there was so much like when NWA came out, right. It got, that was not, they were not the, birth of gangster rap you know you had ice T and a couple other people that were out there a little bit before them but it really got mainstream and a lot of the rappers and the culture of hip-hop that people don't understand is it they didn't like that right like so people like kumo d krs1 mc light dougie fresh heavy d uh, chuck d they got together and they started uh, uh, this movement called Stop the Violence Movement, where they made a song that like kind of like funded and trying to like educate people. And it, it was really about stopping the violence and getting gangster rap pretty much not letting this dictate the culture anymore. That's obviously just a little clip of it. It's pretty detailed. And it's not for everybody. I get it. Like hip-hop and rap, just like country, just like some rock. It's not for everybody. But you could tell that the whole culture was infiltrated by somebody. And this is the first like bit of evidence that we could... You could always kind of guess or think that this happened. But this was specific evidence talking about the prison industrial complex, which we've seen. We have more prisoners... In the United States than anywhere else. I was it. I was one of them. You know what I mean? I, I've been in jail. I haven't gone to prison, but I've been in jail. And it's so crowded that a two-man cell holds three people, sometimes four. It's not supposed to. John, like, when I was locked up, uh, you know, I was in the county first, and they they called it the old the old jail because like when I was in the old jail before they upgraded to like the 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 new jail that they got now uh, back in my hometown. Um, dude, it was 45 bunks in one cell. So the way that it was set up, you had like a little day room. It opened up and you could go out and you could walk around in this little day room. Uh, and then would lock up at night and you watch TV till like 10 o'clock, I think, or something like that. Man. But I mean, you were just stuck in your bunk, like, you know, trapped with like, like rats with a bunch of other people. You know what I mean? Like literally, and, and where I was at, they call it head busting block. So it was like all the dudes that were going for like heavy hitting stuff. Like you had any kind of like felony or you were even just up for a felony. You know what I mean? And even guys that weren't, you know what I mean? They might've been like a, a three-time DUI guy or something like that. You got a lot of like high-end misdemeanor guys in there too. 
you're you're sleeping next to a dude that just killed somebody, right? Or at least going up for murder in, uh, in this place. So, and, and you know, saying that, dude, you're two feet from him at night. You got a dude above you or a dude below you. You got another bunk across from you, across from here, across from here. You're all packed like rats. And it just creates an environment of violence, right? It just does because you're trapped in there with a bunch of other people. You know, generally speaking, the guards aren't always great. I mean, I've known some good guards, but, you know, they're not all great. So you got you got a you got a mixed bag there, too, because, again, it's just people, right? Because you got good people and bad people. So you got good people, bad people on uh, on the law side, on the on the opposite side of the law, you got all that stuff going on. So yeah, that stuff gets created. But I can say, for me, hip hop drove me to do a lot of things. I can honestly say that for me, it it was at least fuel because what it did, it almost fed the dragon. Where like I I wanted to keep doing these things because it gave me an edge in the hip hop world because I could talk more about these things. So the more I did, the crazier I could talk and you could just keep it going. Right. Like it, it, especially in that like gangster mentality, a lot of dudes I hung out with that sold a lot of dope, did a lot of stuff like that. I think that's what created that environment. And I didn't even come from that environment. That wasn't where, how I grew up. But because I attached myself to certain people, I became that like I literally became that I came from like a, a suburban lifestyle and then just was quickly got kicked out of the house. And then I was like with like a bunch of dudes that taught me the game. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, uh, from that aspect of, I can see how that type of hip hop can infiltrate your mind and really drive you to do things that get you in a lot of trouble, man. And get these dudes paid. Like the guy we just, that we just read where these guys get paid off us being in there. And, And I could say like where I grew up, I grew up in a lot of those areas and, you know, I think it reinforces it, right? Like, I don't think you intentionally, they're not like, oh, I'm listening to this. Hey, let me copy what they're doing. But it reinforces the bad things that are already happening in that area. Like, you know, these are areas where we don't have a lot of money. Some people are selling dope and then you think, then it becomes cool though, right? Like it doesn't become like, hey, let's sell dope, but let's use that money to start a new business or like, right, to get out of the game because now it's reinforced to where you're like, man, this is what we do, man. Like, you know what I mean? And then becoming rivals and the big gang, you know, gangs have been around for a long time and they didn't start the gangs, but what they did was they, reinforced it and let it happen right then it became this whole that now we're battling all wax so now people are saying some crazy shit on a record now we're gonna go and handle it in real life and and it just kept going and it was like a snowball effect but what it really reminded me of is the 60s and the whole hippie movement because the hippie movement was a transaction that happened from the Cold War, right? The Cold War and the need to have everybody on fear. We're always talking about that because that's what they want. They want us to be in fear all of the time. And this anti-war, uh, you know, uh, movement had started. They want they were against the Vietnam War because what many people know now is uh, the Gulf of Tonkin, you know, fake incident that really didn't happen as they say it did, but it was able to be used to initiate us going and putting boots on the ground. So to counter this culture of anti-war, they kind of really got heavy on this hippie movement. And one of the big guys in, in the hippie movement, druggy movement, was Jim Morrison, right? And it just so happens Jim Morrison's dad 
was a commander for the naval forces on the Gulf of Tonkin on that exact ship, right? And and he was intelligence as well, and he was involved in a lot of things. So that's the spearhead. So you can see that they've done this numerous times. This is not just, oh, it's only on hip-hop. It's just hip-hop was the new thing. Hip-hop was something that was captivating the youth, that was keeping people glued to their TV screens on MTV. You know, it, it was people, like, wearing, you know, different kinds of stuff like Adidas, right? My Adidas, you know what I mean? Right. Stuff like that. No, for sure, man. I mean, you could even go into Adidas. Like, who who created Adidas, right? Like, I mean, you start digging down that hole, and I know a lot of people for Kanye going rants about it, but... uh I mean, you look at AD and Rudy Dazzler, they were uh, they were both Nazis. They're the ones that created Adidas. And when they created Adidas, it was a, you know, it was a track shoe. And they, oddly enough, these, you know, Nazis with racial prejudices. And honestly, man, when I started digging into like the Dazzler brothers, I, you know, I don't know sometimes how much real racial prejudice some of these guys have. They just align themselves with whatever's in power to make money. So I think their really biggest flaw is greed, right? Their, 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 their lust for greed and power because they'll just take anybody out. I don't think it's a, a blank. I think it's just like, I don't think that they were like all Aryan race and all that. The more I dug into it, they were really just some shoe guys and they lived in Germany and all this stuff's going on. And it's like, well, you know, we got to be down with the Nazis, man. Like we're, we're trying to be, you know, moguls. We're trying to create this brand. And obviously, you know, they go to Hitler like, hey, we make a dope shoe. We can hook up our track runners for the Olympics. And we all know about the Olympics with Jesse Owens. Do you know that they actually got and this is like that precursor to how Again, greed makes the world go around. Like they got Jesse Owens to model in their shoe, to wear their shoe at the Olympics. Isn't that crazy? Like we're talking the Jesse Owens who they didn't want to beat them because that would prove that the Aryan race wasn't the the most powerful race, right? Because he was just outrunning everybody. And for anybody that doesn't know who Jesse Owens is, Jesse Owens was a track runner from the United States and he was black. So he actually went over there to Germany during the Olympics, uh, right in front of uh, Hitler and destroyed everybody on the track field. But a lot of people don't know the Dassler brothers had him wear the shoe, had him take pictures in the shoe because you know what they did? They literally sold the shoe to the U.S. They're like, look, man, your dude's wearing it. Like, we're just going to sell the shoe to you because they did. They still were. Listen, just because there was like the onset of the war and all the stuff going on, man, you still got people making money all over the place. They knew that the United States had a lot of money and they knew the people would buy up the shoe. So they did. And the Dazzle Brothers were so good that when we won the war, they convinced the U.S. troops to not take down their factory, to not take them out, showed them the product, gave the troops shoes. And they were like, oh, we know all about this shoe, man. We see Jesse Owens wear it. They literally let the guys be okay. They were just basically like, look, man, we're just making shoes out here, man. We don't know anything about this like swastika thing, man. We just, you know, they were going to take us out if we didn't do it. That's basically what they told them. So in doing that, then it trickles, and I'm, I'm getting this back to hip hop. 
who pushed the Adidas shoe. Run DMC. Run DMC started pushing the Adidas shoe, got one of the biggest deals from Adidas. And I know that a lot of people want to say that Run DMC, this was all grassroots and they, you know, started wearing this shoe and all that. I don't know, man. The more that I dig into what's what happens in, in any music field, there's not a lot of grassroots there. That not really. Like you got some guys that maybe start out grassroots, but they get to them pretty quick. Like I just feel like that they were presented with, hey, rock this shoe, make make this, make this song. And then if you do show what you can do with it, you know, then we'll give you this big deal. I think maybe there was something brokered earlier on um with, with Run DMC with that whole Adidas thing. But it is true though. Adidas was started by Nazis and but by Nazis who I don't necessarily think were like super racist either. So smooth, so crisp. There we go. Smooth, crisp butt cheeks, right? Uh, I was shaving my face. What are you shaving? Uh... Never mind. Don't answer that. I'm talking about the smooth, crisp pages of Paranormality Magazine, the premium paranormal magazine in all the world. In all the world? That sounds dope. What all is it about? It's a monthly paranormal magazine that delves into the strange world of shadow people, UFOs, and killer interviews with people like David Spinks, Alexandria Weiss, Chaz of the Dead, and many more for $7.99 a month or $127.99 for the whole year. Sean, I love reading, but I'm on the go a lot. You know, I literally hunt down these paranormal beings and cryptids for real. That's fine too. For $3.99 a month or $24.99 a year, you can get the digital subscription. So when you run up on Dogman in the forest, you can show them what they're saying about him on the outside. I think he would love that, actually. How do I get this monthly work of art to show all my cryptid friends? Easy, bro. Just go to paranormalitymag.com or click Paranormality Magazine link in our podcast show notes, and it will take you right there. Plus, you get a 10% discount on any subscription and a 30% discount on any shirt when you use the promo code BIRDKILLERS. I'm going there right now. What was that promo code again? BIRDKILLERS! Well, it's hard to tell about uh, about all that, and a lot of it could be elitism, or they could have their own, like, theory, because I think people forget that to tend to forget, like, it's not just about uh, race all the time. A lot of it has to do with uh, social status. Right. Uh, you know, Screw the how working much class, money you right? make. Yeah, look, we're anything against the working class. And, and you see this theme throughout music. Like I said, with the hippie movement, you got Jim Morrison, Frank Zappa, Papa John Phillips, David Crosby, just to name a few, that they were all children of high-ranking military intelligence. You know, we talk a lot about the CIA, which we will more in this episode, but there's also the DIA. There's also 18 or 17 or 18 other intelligent agencies in, you know, our government that we tend to forget about. Like, we're, oh, yeah, you know, like CIA. Like, I think that's the one we all know about. That's like the mainstream news, you know what I mean? The one we hear about all the time. They have infiltrated quite a bit of things. And we talked about earlier, you know, uh, off air, but we were saying how a lot of people talk about fake news, you know, media run, you know, uh, Operation Mockingbird. Now, we that's exactly what this podcast is named after, right? To kill the mockingbirds. But I fear that too many people think that it's only the news media. 
when they say media, like mockingbirds are not just your Walter Cronkites. They're not just your Connie Chungs. You know what I mean? Like the news readers or your Anderson Coopers. Those are just that part of it. There is plenty others. Like I said about the the, the 60s rockers, right? There's all those guys. You got, uh, uh, what's it called? Young Lean. I don't know if everybody, you know, he died, right? Young Lean is not a huge rapper, but... His, his dad was a former human rights activist for LGBT groups in Russia, Vietnam, and South America who was attached to the Swedish embassy to Albania. You know, and that's, that's spook right there. That's spook all over. Man, if you don't know that, then that's the... And for anybody that thinks spook is a racist term, because I believe they use that to switch it around on us, like they always do, like conspiracy, like conspiracy theorists. They don't want... Spook is a, a reference to a CIA agent and a CIA agent that, you know, is is not there. It's a, it's a ghost, right? It comes from that term of ghost. And I think they hijacked it, switched it on us so that we could be like, oh, man, that's a bad thing. Don't say that anymore because it, it it has a negative uh, uh, condensation to it now. You know, like there's, you know, it's taboo to say. And I think uh, uh a phrase that we ha- should have more in our lexicon that we don't speak about. I mean, there's a whole website, Whitney Webb, shouts out to her, called Limited Hangout. Oh, it's Unlimited Hangout, but a limited hangout. I don't know if people know what that is. A limited hangout is where a spy tells the truth to hide the real truth, right? Like, they're they're giving you a bit of the truth, and that's what we see a lot of these out there. Like, in my opinion, Russell Brand right now, he may be one of those guys, right? He's he's going hard in a certain area, um, but, he's you know, they dance around other things. And we don't know because we don't know these people. We don't know where they come from. But I, you could see it more and more. And now that we went from the prison industrial complex from hip-hop, you saw a ch- transition again. I wonder if there's another meeting because then it became from selling drugs to doing drugs. I was even one of those people because I would talk about my drug use at the time or the party aspect of it, which didn't seem so bad, but you'd get, you get into a competitive spirit and you want to be more, you know, I'm going to say an edgier thing than the last guy said, right? Like I'm going to say a crazier thing than that guy said, because it gets into that culture of where, you know, competitiveness, but when you really break it down and you look at in between the lines, it's like, well, man, this heavy drug use and hip hop is really prevalent now. It's how many have overdosed? How many? It used to be now rappers are still getting killed. Gangster rap is still prevalent, but this new thing was, hey, let's get them with the uh, the mollies. Let you know you hear Molly in song. You hear uh, talking about all kinds of like fentanyl, like different pills, things that were not always referenced in hip hop. And I believe there's had to be some kind of push towards that. And another person that I'd like to really rail on and get it on my soapbox for a second. I warned you before we got on the air, I'll be jumping on my soapbox <laughs> for a little bit. <laughs> is Adam 22, man. Uh, this guy, first of all, is a piece of shit. He's a pedophile. Well, I don't know if he's a pedophile, but I do know that he's admitted that he was talking to a 16-year-old when he was 23. Uh, he has endless amounts of like Twitter feeds from back in the days where he was talking re- really reckless about younger women. And he was like, ha- had got far where he was st- looking through a woman's pictures. And he's like, man, but I didn't know she was really hot until I got to when she was 15 years old. And then she was really hot. You know, he, he gets into that weird shit. But I also would like to point out if you've noticed, his whole platform has been made to embrace this drug 
gangster culture to provide it. He has gotten people to fight on air. He's gotten people to get into gang wars from what they've said. And he's a little bitch. If you've ever seen them um, in those rooms and something cracks off, he's the first, <laughs> like scared, you know, running around. But people don't realize that Bill Clinton pardoned his father for voter fraud. He has connections with the Rockefeller family like that also put money towards Clinton's campaigns. So there's this weird connection. He's an elitist. So it was always strange to me, like, why did he have this hip hop platform? It's not like, oh, I used to rap. I was a producer. He has no, maybe he listened to it, but it doesn't even really seem like he much listens to rap. Maybe now he does. But his whole platform has been designed to pit people against each other. So he is, to me, the new uh, meeting, right? Like this new gangster rap where he's pushing this hatred and this divide and getting people to constantly go at each other. And this motherfucker is a piece of shit. And, and before I get off my soapbox, I want to say Adam22... Uh, Fresh and Fit, Destiny, Sneeko. Uh, if I forgot any of you motherfuckers, I'm coming for you. Let me just let let me just let you know I'm coming for you. Cause to me, you guys are these limited hangouts. Andrew Tate, we're coming for you. And people go, oh, how do you know? How do you know? Well, let let's just show a little bit of proof, right? Andrew Tate's words from his own mouth. Father, when he died, someone messaged me who was in because my father was in the CIA. He held the CIA record for the fastest assimilation of a foreign language. My father learned Russian within two and a half weeks from zero. His father was in the CIA. He said it himself. (laughs) (laughs) It's a joke, man. The Andrew Tate stuff's an absolute joke to me. I don't know how anybody can believe this guy. First off, I'm going to say it like this. You're not building women up by tearing them down. That's just not... You're, you're not helping the situation to even act like that you are trying to create a better environment. Um, yeah, dude, look, listen, Andrew Tate says some stuff sometimes. It's like, yeah, that makes sense. But you know what? It goes back to that. Hey, I'm saying truth, but I'm hiding the real truth. He does a lot of that, man. A lot of those guys, fresh and fit, man, same thing. They get a lot of these girls on there. Just the, just the absolute, not what you would present that women should aspire to be. Let's just say it that way. You get that on there, that element on there, and you start railing on these girls. And honestly, you don't even know their background. You don't know what they went through, all that, right? And then they, these dudes who really are insecure, let's just say that. You're really insecure on the inside. That's why you're putting all this fake bravado out there because you're not secure with yourself. So they get on there and they start popping off at the mouth, start talking about all this money and stuff. And really what it does, it's it's a double-edged sword. You're taking all these dudes down the wrong path. So they feel like, oh man, the only way I'm going to be successful is if I'm riding around in a Porsche and I'm telling some girl off, man, and they're bowing down before me. That's not really how that works. Um, Yeah, man, uh, Andrew Tate, yeah, absolute truck juice. And I'm going to say that right here. I'm in total agreement with you on that. Anybody that thinks he is not an op it, it is really blind. And you've, you've chosen to not see what's in front of you. And by the way, get your butt cheeks tight calling me a controlled op because I'm going off on Andrew Tate. Well, you know that's coming, bro. <laughs> that That is like... 101 right when we They're start saying anything about these guys because he's the actual controlled up it's, it's absolutely insane right now booyah dog i'm coming at booyah, y'all dog. man i'm sick of it i'm sick of getting called this because i have the wherewithal 
to actually point out shit that you're just refusing to see because you want to idolize people, man. And that's the problem. You know what? Somebody can say something you like and not idolize them. It's simple as that. It's simple as that. There's a lot of people that I don't particularly like that say some things that I do like. And I'll tell you that, Sean. Like, hey, man, that's some yeah. shit. Like, cool, a man. Good statement's a good statement. Like, people could say what they want, but you could tell, like, that's why I pointed Adam 22 too, because Adam 22, uh, Tate, all these people, they platform these certain ideas that are meant to divide. He platforms people like Nick Fuentes. He platforms people like Destiny. The guy Destiny is a hardcore leftist, but he's the, one of those guys, and there's plenty of videos where they're talking about, like, hey, you know, I'm, I'm against pedophilia, and he's like, whoa, just because you molest a child doesn't make you a pedophile. What? Like, th these are the logic that they use. So we we have to really stop idolizing these people. That doesn't mean that, like you said, hey, if you hear something that they said that is useful, you can use that in your life. But don't mold your life after these people that are trying to conquer and divide us. And people like Sneeko, I don't know if he's just... Uh, you know, guilty by association? Is he just a, a useful idiot? But people like that, they in they're trying to be Andrew Tate, and he's trying to make people Andrew Tate. And then they 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 try to muddy up the waters for what me and you try to do, and other people in this realm try to do. They start talking about red pilling people. That's not red pilling people, because you're not you're dehumanizing. And once you dehumanize people, you're no better than these uh, intelligent agents that are infiltrating everything. And to get off my soul to transition a little bit they're not just in our music they're not just in the news they are also in our movies in all forms of entertainment yeah man and that's a fact you know they have been involved really with movies since movies were started right like it, it's there's all kind of imagery you can go back to like the 40s man um there's so there's a matter of fact they're uh and this is just a side note, man, made me think about it. But there was a movie, and I can't remember what the movie was. It was back in the ooh, 30s or 40s. And for two weeks only. So back then, in these days, movies are on these reels, right? And they would have to change the reels out. And in between the reels, they would play like a, like a commercial or a trailer, what we consider a trailer now, right? So during this time, uh, this was during Admiral Byrd coming back and saying that he'd went to hollow earth and no lie for two weeks in a, in a few locations, a handful of locations. And I don't know if there's any people still alive now that were during that time that saw this, but um, there were, there was, this was highly, highly reported by a lot of people from that generation that they'd seen it. It was a small group of people though. There was pictures of woolly mammoths and all kinds of creatures that were in this, hollow earth area when he supposedly went there and went to Agartha and saw these things. So they showed it for a limited time and they pulled it out of nowhere. We're just talking about how even in the middle of a, tra like a trailer, they could influence you to think of certain things. So why, why did they release that information? Did they want to see how people would react if they, if they were to actually show you some truth or was it actually fake? And that wasn't really what bird saw when he was there. Uh, we don't know, but that's just a, that's, that's how far back it goes. You know, all these, all these, all these actors and actresses, they're exactly what the word is. They're actors and actresses, and they put on a show for you. They do it in their daily lives when they're telling you to 
take something that the government's telling you to, to take, even though you don't feel like taking it. Like, well, man, LeBron said it was okay, so I think I'm going to go ahead and do that. You know what I mean? If it's that or if it's literally acting a role out in a movie and they're going to slide imagery in and, and slide in ideologies. And really where I want to start with it, man, is a movie uh, by Ben Affleck in 2012 called Argo. And he actually directed this movie. Uh, Chris Terrio wrote it. And it's basically a, it's a CIA film. And if anybody knows about this, this was during, uh, it was in Tehran, uh, Iran. And there were six U.S. diplomats there. And what ended up happening was the CIA went there under the guise of they were making a movie. And they ended up smuggling these people out of there. But during this whole film, um, they basically tell you exactly what the CIA, how involved they are with these films. And the film was also shot at Langley, at the CIA headquarters as well. And they had CIA consults on the film as well. But uh, I believe we got a good clip to start this whole train of thought out. If you want to play that, and then we can really start deep diving into how these movies um, in, interconnect with the CIA. And to set it up a little bit, this is a clip that I found on uh, we found on the Guardian uh, website. So it's a little bit mixed. It's mixed up. Uh, it has some of the movie quotes, and then it has Ben Affleck actually talking about the movie and how it was created. Aliens and robots. Yes, sir. You're telling me that there is a movie company in Hollywood right now that is funded by the CIA? Yes, sir. What's wrong with the bikes again? We tried to get the message upstairs. You sir. think you think this is more plausible than teachers? Yes, we do. One, there are no more foreign teachers in Iran. And we think everybody knows Hollywood people. And everybody knows they'd shoot in Stalingrad with Paul Pot directing if it would sell tickets. One of the themes of Argo is, is about storytelling and how powerful it is from political theater to um, the way we kind of communicate to our children to the way that we inspire people, you know. And it's interesting that Hollywood and, uh, you know, the clandestine services are both spend most of their time convincing people that something that's not true is in fact true. You don't have a better bad idea than this? This is the best bad idea we have, sir. By far. The United States government has just sanctioned your science fiction movie. Thank you, sir. Hollywood sort of develops this way of telling stories and oftentimes uses that and philanthropic causes or political causes, which people may or may not think are good. But, um, you know, there are really positive offshoots. Mostly, I think it's, you know, self-serving and kind of designed to be that way. But I think some good things also do happen. This is an exceptional example of, of something good happening. Um, but yeah, it's possible. How about the horses of Achilles? No good. Nobody does westerns anymore. It's ancient Troy. If it's got horses in it, it's a western. Hey, Kenny, please. Yeah, it's John Chambers about the office space. It doesn't matter. It's a fake movie. If I'm doing a fake movie, it's going to be a fake hit. I think Ellen Arkin said that it's not a spoof, it's not a satire, and, and people can get confused about that. What would you say it is? He just gets cranky when he's asked that <laughs> question, so he's like, No, it isn't a spoof! Um, I would say that it's, I mean, that there's comic elements to it. I guess we're not sat, satirizing Hollywood in the sense that we're like not holding specific things up for, you know, to be lampooned, but there is a, a, um, 
you know, there is a way in which it, the movie sort of rolls its eyes a bit. I got an idea. They're a Canadian film crew for a science fiction movie. I fly into Tehran. We all fly out together as a film crew. I need you to help me make a fake movie. So you want to come to Hollywood and act like a big shot without actually doing anything? Yeah. It'll fit right in. Are there many actors in Hollywood who also moonlight as agents, do you think? <laughs> I think there are probably quite a few, yes. Huh. I think probably Hollywood is full of CIA agents, and we just don't know it. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised at all to discover that, you know, this was extremely common. It is something that I think is extremely common. See, they're, they use it as jokes, and they're playing off of that. But it is. And, and the one thing I will, to go back, like you said, they've been in forever in, in the movie industry, not just for the Cold War when they were trying to, you know, break up these, the hippie, bring out the hippie movement to end the anti-war stuff. They also were really big in the movies because they wanted to put the CIA in a good light. They wanted to make intelligence look like heroes, things that they wanted people to be a part of. Like, you don't want to be like, oh, these secret guys, especially because you got to remember in the 70s, you had the church hearing where they brought out about Operation Mockingbird and other operations that were, you know, implemented on the the uh american people and those things were trying to smooth over no no man you got the heroes man you got like the 007 character man he's he's so good man you know uh, uh sean connery man he's like you know man he's, he's a good dude man he's he's slick with his words and i think that was intentional and they they say it they it was pretty much pr and we all know the godfather of pr is edward bernays and he wrote the book Propaganda, so I just wanted to touch on that a little bit. Let people remind people that this is not a new thing. No, it's not, man. And there's a couple of things that Affleck said there that was kind of telling too. One of them was uh, most of the time it's self-serving and it's designed to be that way, but sometimes it's good. And I think in this case, it was good. You know, it's just funny how he even lets you know with a sleight of hand, like, well what the CIA gets involved with is very self-serving. It's really not for everybody's best, best interest. It's for whatever their interests are. Um, he kind of let that be known too. And he did joke about himself being part of the CIA as well. He said that he was a part of the CIA too, and they laughed about it, but that's part of that whole, we're revealing what we're doing, but we're doing it in jokes in a very joking manner. And he basically told you there is like, ah, the uh, Hollywood's just full of CIA agents. That's pretty much what it is. Um, yeah. Uh, also, so in 2014, there was a former CIA agent, John Rizzo, and he wrote this memoir called Company Man. And one of the crazy things that Rizzo talks about is in the book, he said the CIA has a long and special relationship with the entertainment industry devoting considerable attention to fostering relationships with Hollywood movers and shakers, studio executives, producers, directors, and big-name actors. This is an ex-CIA agent who, when he left, wrote this book and basically talked about it. And not only that, around the same time a year later, Trisha Jenkins, who's an associate professor at TCU to this day, and it's for film, TV, and digital media, she wrote a second edition to the to her book, The CIA in Film, and I'd love to play that clip right now for talking because she really breaks that down. It's clear that very early on, Chase Brandon, the CIA's liaison officer, um, was not just an advisor on that script as the press had reported. 
Instead, what these documents showed was that Chase Brandon actually was the original writer of that film. He revised the original pitch paper, he outlined and wrote the first draft of The Recruit, and it's clear that he saw the film as a way to recoup the agency's image, enhance its recruitment, and stress the agency's importance in the post-Cold War era. And, and there's a lot of other people like Tom Clancy, right? Tom Clancy was huge in his books, getting stuff from the Pentagon. That's why it's not only just the CIA, it's intelligence in general. You have the DIA. I know there was that big old, oh, Flynn's, he's a, Flynn is a good guy because he's in the DIA. They're trying to <laughs> save you from the CIA. Like, man, that's a bunch of horse shit, man. But they're always making these uh, uh, assertions. And, and there's notes that are being taken, like what she was saying. It's... it's they're using it. They're being told. And they're and they're also going, right? It's almost like when you hear about, like, the Godfather, right? The mob hit up the, hey, hey you know what I'm saying? Uh, you're going to have to take this out. You're going to have to put this in. This wasn't accurate. Hey, man, we don't like how you depicted us like that. It's the same thing that these intelligent agencies and Department of Defense are doing with these movies. Well, and she brought up a really interesting name. Um. Chase Brandon, and this name's going to come up a lot from here on out the rest of this episode because he's been involved with a lot of films and a lot of actors in Hollywood. And she just talked about a movie called The Recruit, which if you don't know about the movie The Recruit, um, it starred Al Pacino, Colin Farrell. Uh, I watched it a long time ago. I enjoyed it a lot. It, it was definitely one of those spook movies where it was just... It, it's about as spook as you could possibly get, man, with all the backstabbing, double agents, everything going on. I mean, they basically pull Colin Farrell in because he's, you know, he's got some uh, talent in a computer field. They bring him into this, like, special farm where they train him at. And then they put him through, they basically get him captured, and he, he, he thinks it's real. And he ends up giving up the chick's name or end up giving up goods. They kick him out. But that was also a psyop to where they could come and get him to do something else for him off the books. It's a whole it was a whole game being played. Really good thing. But he actually wrote that film. And that's what she was talking about in that clip. He Brandon Chase wrote the film. He wasn't just this uh, uh, consult uh, that they keep putting him on. And matter of fact, man, check this out. He was involved with Mission Impossible, Enemy of the State, in the Company of Spies, Meet the Parents, Bad Company, The Born Identity, The Sum of All Fears, Spy Game, Meet the Fockers, The Interpreter, Charlie, Charlie Wilson's War. Also, he's involved in the Alias series, The Agency, Stories of the CIA. Dude, he's been involved in every th single thing possible that's got CIA or three-letter agency attached to it. And to come to find out, they don't even know how many films he's actually wrote. He could have wrote all of these films because if it came out that he actually wrote The Recruit, well, he probably wrote them all. These guys that they're saying are writing these films aren't writing the films. It's him. No, for sure. For sure. And, and how you said, man, it was a good movie, right? That just reminded me of what we heard from that clip in Argo. Uh, uh, Alan Arkin said, Hey, man, if I'm going to write a fake movie, it's going to be a fake hit. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> That's just like that pretty much summarizes what they're doing. And you're right. Just because 
He's not, uh, uh, you don't see his name on the writer. And, you know, there's a lot of writer aliases, right? You don't know who all these writers are. And they get it from different people. And sometimes, just like they did on the news, just like they did with Walter Walter Concride and Cooper and all those idiots, there's they'll slide it in. Hey, man, here's the script. You could put your name on it. You could take the credit. You know what I mean? But this is the script you're going by. Oh, yeah, man. They do it all the time, man. And... The fact that the CIA, like Langley, has been involved with films, dude, since 1973, man. So the first film that was allowed to be uh, filmed there was Scorpio. And a lot of people don't know about Scorpio, but that was a pretty that was a pretty wild film. It had Burn Lan- Burt Lancaster in it. Uh, it had Elaine Delon. Uh, it was a pretty wild film. The basis of it was, and this is this is crazy. It kind of backfired on him a little bit too. But the film was about a CIA agent who wanted to retire. So instead of letting him retire, they sent another CIA agent out to kill him. <laughs> and it was <laughs> right, right, right. So it, it, that in and of itself, because they're coming off the Cold War, right, and they want a better image. And it kind of backfired on him. And this was a British filmmaker, uh, Michael Winter, that that put the film out. And he actually had to do like some uh, uh, stopping of the fire. He basically had to put these fires out uh, because of this. He basically said that we only show the CIA killing nasty agents. Young people in America think the CIA should not exist, but that's naive. So you could tell where he was going with it. Obviously, had. You know, the CIA came to him and like, hey, man, we thought you were, you know, you were going to make us look good with this film. That was the whole point of let you come to Langley, let you come do this. And now the film don't look right. Uh, but, yeah, that that's that's what happened with that film. Also, you know, that iconic image that you see in a lot of films of the guy. Or it'll be a guy in any film. It could be, you know, any of the Tom Clancy movies or whatever. They'll walk into the CIA headquarters and it'll be that top shot where they're walking across the logo. That was the first film that did the logo shot. So it's pretty wild that uh, they did that logo shot in that film. And they did it in several others too, man, uh, that happened after that. But that was very interesting to me um, that after the cold war that the CIA started opening up shop, having people come and shoot at the CIA and it kept going, man. I mean, you had all kinds of films. The first mission impossible film was shot there, man. Um, did you know that top chef was shot at CIA headquarters? That's crazy. When you think about how much they've infiltrated all of it, you know, I try to tell people all the time at the food channel, you're going to see some wild, imagery on the food channel i've been on the food channel watching stuff man and you'll see some symbolism that you never thought you'd see you see people throwing up all kind of like illuminati symbolism cia involvement you'll see a lot of that because again you said it before sean they're involved in every aspect of entertainment i think people get too caught up in what entertain like what entertainment encompasses it encompasses everything that would be considered something that would keep your mind off of you know, your daily activities, like daily chores, whatever else, your job, whatever that that's part of that. So anything that is encompassed under that umbrella, the CIA definitely is involved with, man. Oh, they definitely are. And then, 
like you said, they are doing things to make themselves look better, whether it's Department of Defense, like, you know, jumping into things. Department of Defense jumped into the, the movie Hulk. You know, with yeah. uh, there was a reference to uh, Viet Vietnamese farmers being poisoned. There was an operation where they actually poisoned Vietnamese farmers. They had to take out the movie, right? Yeah, 007, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, they had to cut a scene because he talked about not winning Vietnam. They had an Iron Man where they're talking about soldiers and the, uh, committing suicide and how it's very prevalent. Again, Department of Defense, uh-uh can't use that so not only do you have that then you have the other side of it where they're making them look like heroes like you said you know they always at first like you know a jason Bourne. he's running around man he he he's really a good guy but he's being set up by the bad intelligent agencies right they don't really refer to who they are you know the bad intelligent agencies you know then he's gonna go find them out and even in the movie central intelligence <laughs> with the rock and kevin hart has a lot of that, right? There's a rogue agent that nobody knows. It's only one, right? It's always just one guy. Everybody else is really good. They're they're only there for great, you know, to help us, the American people. But there's always a rogue one, and he's just greedy, and he wants to sell, like, weapons or whatever. They fail to talk about, like, the the Iran-Contra, right? Like, the, they fail to mention the... uh uh, uh the way that the CIA created the cartels. The cartels would not in Mexico would not be in existence if it wasn't for the, them funding the Nicaraguan War. And they had to do it off the books. So to do it off the books, they had to smuggle in coke. And to smuggle in coke, they needed drug smugglers. So they found people in Mexico. People started making a lot of money off of it. And they're like, you know what? We should probably start our own little army. You know, and that's how the cartels are made. So all these problems, in my opinion, and from research, not just opinion, but a lot of facts, everybody talks about the drug culture. Every drug that was introduced to the United States of America was brought here by an intelligent agent. You know what I mean? And these intelligent agents, you know, they had a rebrand. CIA wasn't always the CIA. Weren't they like, what, the SSA or something like that? Or uh, they were all started by the Rockefellers. The, these rich elitist groups, these occultic people that we always talk about are always behind this kind of stuff. And they created these agencies just to spy, you know, to spy on the, the our enemies because we need to know what our enemies are doing. No, they were here and developed to spawn everybody, the working class. That's why, uh, what was it, the uh, the months, the months Act? Uh, oh, man, I can't think of it right now, that they overturned. Because with the 1975 church hearing, they decided, hey, you need to stop spying and putting propaganda uh, uh, into the uh, uh, American psyche. smith Months Act. So that was to get them to stop playing propaganda in the American public, but they were allowed to do it around the world because they were like, well, we have this American security. You know what I mean? They always, it's, it's security issues, man. We got to do the security issues, you know? But Obama repealed that. When Obama repealed that, because they said, you know, now it's the World Wide Web, man. You know, uh, we're going to put propaganda out there, but just for our enemies, but, you know, Americans might accidentally, <laughs> they might accidentally see it because the World Wide Web's everywhere, man. So they got rid of the smith Munts Act. Yeah, and to your propaganda point, too, another thing that people don't realize that after the Cold War, the CIA was not looked upon fondly. So they needed to reboot their image. And they're still doing it to this day. And part of how they're doing it is 
they're not only appealing to the average person who's like, oh, the CIA, man, they're here to help us. They're also trying to recruit people to work for them. So there's a film called Dying of the Light with Nick Cage. Shout out to Juan Ayala from the One on One podcast. He's a huge Nick Cage fan, and he made me think about Nick Cage. So I do want to play this little clip. Nick Cage. From the movie. Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) I do want to play this little clip from the movie because it is about recruiting, and it's how he makes it look good to work for the CIA. What in the name of Jesus Christ nailed to the cross are you doing here? Because you heard the call, that's why. Your future spread out before you like a cruise ship buffet. You were teaching in a classroom, working in a kitchen, training in a gym, and you heard the call. For some, it was adventure. For some, mystique. For all, it was 9-11, and you heard the call, and it was the call of duty, and love of country. I love that wordplay, like Call of Duty as well. Like where, cause it's, you know, they're not only just recruiting for CIA, a lot of this stuff has been for the military industrial complex. And when you play games, like I'm not saying you shouldn't play games, Call of Duty, but I'm just saying, just be aware that these games, whether it's a spy game of Mission Impossible is doing exactly what Nick Cage just said. You're, you're Call of Duty. You, you've been called to do this. Dude, I got a wild one for you. So, guy I worked with, he told me a story about a client that he was working with, and the guy was talking about his son, and his son was really good at Call of Duty, right? Real good. Literally got hit up by the Pentagon to come work for him. Check this out. They basically put him in a room with a gaming system, and he goes to gaming, come to find out it ain't a game. They're actually running real drones over in Mexico and wiping out cartels with them. And it is like a game, but it's not a game. So just to just to give people a heads up, these gaming systems, they're tracking, they're watching those too. They're actually looking at who's really good with hand-eye coordination in these games, man. And they come and approach them. That's just a story that I know for an absolute fact, man, because I know the people involved. And literally... It's set up just like a game, but you're running drones, and, and they're, they're they're drones with uh, with artillery, and they'll send them in to just take out the small village if they want to, do whatever they want. They again, you don't have to send soldiers into places, man. You can get they got attack drones anymore. for days. Not anymore. You don't have to. Yeah, that's it. That's a big thing, and not to mention. There will be other robotics. Like right now, the drones are, you know, planes. Like, and also, people think of drones as these little things, right? These little planes. These are F 15s. A full size F 15 could be a drone, right? Like, people don't realize that these huge military, a tank can be a drone. Like, drones are not just these little, like the little shit that we get. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think that people fail to realize that sometimes. No, man, for sure. And, just to kind of keep playing into this CIA movie thing, uh, in 2015, they actually shut down operations. They wouldn't let anybody film there for about three years. They didn't even pick it back up until 2018 when 
Amazon's Jack Ryan wanted to shoot there with uh, John, John Krasinski. And he did the same walk over the logo that they do in all the films just to show you how great and awesome that the CIA is, how how my- mystical it is to walk through those doors. Um, but, yeah, man, it, it's it's pretty telling how involved that the CIA's been. But I will say this, too, and to swing back into Argo, man, and this Chase Brandon guy. Ben Affleck's involvement, though, with the CIA didn't just start with Argo. And he did talk about a lot there. But a film that people don't remember as much of was The Sum of All Fears, where he did play Jack Ryan in that film. And this was his first introduction to Chase Brandon. And Chase Brandon, man, was even talking about Affleck. He said, one of the things I think that benefited Ben as he walked around the agency was to simply feel the atmosphere of the place. There's a very palpable sense of mission and importance to what goes on there. And I think Ben picked up on that simply by being in the building. So that's really telling on that front. Also, Ben Affleck talks about meeting Chase. And if you want to play that clip right now, man, that's pretty interesting, too. You read his books and you have a sense that they're authentic, that you're really getting a sense of, like, looking behind the curtain, seeing how things really work. Even at the CIA, they seem almost, almost rueful about kind of, well, yeah, Tom has some, some good sources here. You know, like, they didn't quite like the fact that he had such good sources inside the CIA, and I think he has equally good sources <clears throat> at the Pentagon and the Defense yeah, Department. And, and yeah, yeah. At the Pentagon. Yeah, he has them all. Yeah, man. And he's talking about Tom Clancy right there, man. And this yep. is when he was getting escorted around by Chase Brandon. Uh, it's it's wild, man. And, and it wasn't just supported by the CIA. The DOD supported this film, too. So you got to look back to the three-letter agencies. Like, people get really caught up with the FBI and the CIA. They don't really realize how many there are out there that are also connected with, with these guys. Um, and he made multiple visits. And he made so many visits, man, it was actually eye-opening to some of the people that were working on the film that I was reading, too. They're like, why, why has Ben Affleck going back to the CIA headquarters so much? Why does he keep going there even when it's not, you know, he keeps saying it's for research, uh, but it wasn't. And some of the emails came out during that time, too. And one of them was, at the end, when Affleck was reaching back to the CIA, he said, I look forward to returning to headquarters again soon. And I hope very much to see you then. W- what does that mean, though, returning to headquarters? Why would you word it that way? Not unless you're working for the CIA. Exactly. Because generally speaking, when you would say, I would love to come back to your headquarters. The way you would word it would be like it's a place that you don't work at. But he said, returning to headquarters. So when I saw that email, I'm like, man, he's been working for the CIA for a long time. Like a really long time. You got to think about this. When you see characters like, you know, Sean Connery, uh, Ben Affleck, uh, Matt Damon, the same people are constantly playing in those type of movies, right? Like if you once you're playing a spy, it's like you're always a spy. You're always into this. It, it's very telling to me. And then because they're letting you in, or 
were you always in? Now, did they recruit you from acting? Uh, like we've talked about plenty of times, it's it's not necessarily like just you're born and they're like, this guy's going to be an intelligent agent. But once they see that you're good at something, once they see that they can use you as a tool to get propaganda across and to paint whatever image they want, not only was it to paint a good image of, of you know, the CIA, like, you know, the Cold War really ruined them. It's, it's also to promote certain wars right hey man the nazis are bad hey the vietnamese are bad you start putting films out there and things in movies and tv shows and music to really attack the people and then you know you throw in a little bit of the news so now it's already in your psyche where you hear a song they're like you know talking about something then you see a movie where it's showing a negative light of some you know they're like man those guys in iraq i don't know man you see that movie, then when you see the news report, it all clicks together. This is a whole motion. It's not just one aspect. They play each part to really get us connected. Because if they just show the news clip, it's kind of not you're you're not understanding. Uh, yeah, I guess it's crazy over there. But when you already have it in your psyche, where you're like, man, you know, I you don't even realize that you're thinking that these guys are bad. Just like in the '80s, you know, when it was all about Russia, Russia, Russia too, right? I remember every single movie the terrorists were Russian, but it changed towards the end of the 80s. And then they all of a sudden became Middle Eastern. And then this little thing happened, I think it was 9-11, 9-11, but 2001. You know, 9-11, 2001, just in case you <laughs> don't remember. But once 9-11 happened, there was this precursor build up to it. Dude, you've got me thinking about a film specifically when you were talking about how What's happening in the film is connecting immediately with what's going on um, in the world at that moment. Wag the dog, man, with Dustin Hoffman and Robert De Niro. So if people don't know about that film, it's about a spin doctor and he's a Hollywood producer and he's trying to fabricate a war in Albania. And he's trying to do it to distract voters from a presidential sex scandal. Literally, this film came out a month before the Clinton Lewinsky scandal and the bombing of Al Shifa pharmaceutical factory in Sudan by the Clinton administration. So this film literally comes out and it is talking about distracting you, creating a fake war to distract you from a presidential sex scandal while there's a bombing in Iraq during the impeachment trial. And that was even later on. So this literally happens. You can't make it up, man. You can't make it up. <laughs> I mean, it's the craziest thing, man, like I've ever heard of. It's a fake war. And I think, too, now I'm going to give the scripted guys a little break this week because I do think some shit's scripted. I really do. I think that I absolutely think that a lot of that shit going on over in Ukraine right now I think some of that shit's fucking scripted. I think it's well, fucking I, fake. I think, I, I think, no, see, I think that's the wrong terminology again. I, we we kind of talked about this a little bit on uh, the episode we did with Donut. I think the problems we're saying scripted. I think the word we need to be using is planned. Because it's planned, and things don't always go as planned. That's why we see mistakes. That's why we see things leaked out. That's why we find out. Because if it was scripted perfectly, it's going to happen how they no, want it to happen. No, it is scripted. 
I mean scripted and I mean it in this way. I think that there are shots that are being shot with actors and they're making it look a certain way and they're putting out that information for you to look at. I don't think the entire thing's scripted by any stretch and I get where you're going with it. I just mean like in the wag the dog way, I think they're shooting certain things and they're like, oh man, look at all these people there. They're falling out and literally that particular shot is absolutely fake as can possibly be. Like, it's not real. I think they do those in some of these onsets of these wars. I think they shoot some of these things that aren't real at all. I think it's literally fake and they put it in the media like this is what's happening over there. I do think there is some level of that being true. This goes back to what you and I talk about, though, Sean, where there's different levels to it. It's just like school shootings. Not all school shootings are fake. Are there some that are? Yeah, I think there are some that are that are contrived. I think there there are some of these actors that are involved, but it's not all of them. I think there's so many different kinds, and that's why how they throw you off. So when I say scripted, when I use the word scripted, I do mean actually scripted. But again, you can't script a war like there's too many pieces in play, but you can script a specific shot or a specific instance, you can make it look like something and then implement it to the media because they don't know what's happening out in the field. If you shot something out in the field of Ukraine, like where nobody's around and you created this, this instance that could be scripted. I think in those instances that they do those, those things sometimes to, to, to make something escalate. And again, like the Gulf of Tonkin, that wasn't scripted like that. That was something completely different. And that's more of a plan. I agree with you, though. I think, but I think there are some of both. Yeah, and and I'll give you some like a script. Like you could script something like I would believe something in a foreign country like Ukraine or something where it's there's a language barrier, so it's going to be harder to communicate because again, you can't have a lot of people involved in these things, right? Because for if sure. you do, people are going to know. I don't think, in my opinion, I don't think. I think there's some a few actors or or uh, intelligent agents that are like spokesperson people in these school shootings. But I believe all these school shootings, in my opinion, again, is all the result of MK Ultra and like uh, these discords. And I'm really big on the whole Xbox Live, um, PlayStation Live, whatever video game you want system you want to put out there. That that's where they're contacting them now because you really have to have bloodshed, right? Like, you can have it planned. That's what I'm saying, like, the school shooting. But I could see, like, a script for, like, something like a Ukraine, like, something like that's Because there's such a language barrier, it's going to be hard to communicate the few people that are involved in it. I mean, you could have a little bit more involved in those situations because... I don't know Ukraine. You know what I mean? We don't speak that language, and the, and it's going to be so hard to get that contact with those people, especially when you have the control of the internet because, uh, you know, e- good old Elon over there providing them the, uh, what is it, that Starlink, right? Their Starlink internet. He's doing all that, which is hilarious because he go he's so red pill, right? These red pill guys like Elon, and then he's like, oh, yeah, man, here's the Starlink, and then now he's has this military Starlink that he developed that he's like selling to the military industrial complex. Like, you know what I mean? You're so red pilled, but no, I could see that. I could, I can concede some of that seeing that things could be staged and scripted. And, and, you know, we saw some films of that, like where those people were running. I don't know if you saw like the videos early on, you know, where there were people, all right, cut. Like, and also it's hard to say because 
The problem with me, the reason I don't like to use the word scripted too much is because then people run with it and they think that like, oh, no one's died over there. You know what I mean? And I'm like, no one's getting killed. And I'm like, no, they're showing you specific scenes so you could. No, uh, granted, there is a lot of lies as well, like that certain areas have not been touched. The war is in these certain, you know, aspects, because I've always find it funny, too, like recently that a drone was crashed into or shot down by the Russians, whatever they like, you know, support spilled fuel all over. Then he threw a cigarette, you know what I mean? Like the, the Russian <laughs> open and threw a cigarette to blow it up. Like, you're like, come on, man, calm down. But like that whole instance was hilarious to me. Cause you have our, you know, defense guy. That's like, yeah, I was on the phone with the Russian guy. It's all good. We're, you know, we should have a good report. I'm like, we're at war, man. Like, what the, what's going on here? We're at war, but yeah, no, nah, it's cool. That guy's pretty cool. Like, I, I've never understood that, even though they're like, yeah, I know we're, like, killing all their people, and they're killing all our people. We're communicating with them. Just like, hey, man, to play fair. Play fair. That's a flag. Hey, man, uh, re replay, instant replay that, man. I got to see that. Like, come on, man. That that That's where I get it. I think that, like, that's where this, you know, the the word scripted, but I think, yeah, staged would be another good word. Staged is a really good word that it's set up a certain way for, you know, us to see certain angles. And I, I do believe some of it. And I think you're right. I don't think everything's scripted, but I think there is some scripts that are implement, uh, implemented. I think the uh, first uh, war in Iraq would be a good one with that. Uh, yeah, what's her name? That princess that wasn't oh even princess. Oh my God. Yes. Oh <laughs> that diplomat's daughter. Yes. You're killing babies. They're well, I think some of the COVID them. stuff. I think some of the COVID stuff, like those, like where where they would do a shot inside of a a hospital room with like somebody like almost dying and everybody like acting a fool, but they'd be looking at the camera and then the camera would tell them to go and then they would start yelling again. I think definitely there was some of that going on, man. Like some of the guys in the hazmat suits, and then you get like a picture of them, like, like or what happened in, from CCP, the Chinese when the yeah. Chinese videos leaked out, oh and you're just seeing people like laying, like right. You had people in hazmat suit, people laying there. They're like, oh my god, that's what freaked everybody out. That's what people were <laughs> yeah, to remember. Just, and that's what I mean by scripted. And also, Sean, I just wanted to like loosen up some of the scripted guys' butt cheeks, some of the blue beam guys' butt cheeks a little bit, just to let them know, like, look. There is breathe. truth to some of it. Just breathe. I'm just saying it ain't all of it. Sean and I try to express that. Like, do I think that there's an element of blue beam that exists? Absolutely. Do I think there's an element of being scripted that exists? Absolutely. It just ain't all of it. You guys just get on these buzzwords and just go absolutely bonkers with it on social media because you get you're, you're just getting herded. Just like the sheep that you call sheep, you're doing the exact same thing. Everything ain't one thing. You got to start realizing that there's a multitude of things going on, and that's the best way to keep you off your off your axis is to throw a, a like four or five different things at you, and then you you're like it's this one thing. Like, well, no, now they got you because it isn't actually. Actually, this time it was absolutely real. <laughs> yeah, and, and we're not like railing on you. Because I think that a lot of these people do have a lot of good information and they are on the right track. Right. I just our our point and our opinions on a lot of stuff is just we don't want to be boxed in because that's when they get us. You know, they right. throw these things at us. They're trying to constantly trick us. So we got to try our best to be ahead of the game and we have to watch out for everything. And speaking of boxed in, Sean. Jennifer Garner, who was married to Ben Affleck at the time when he did the sum of all fears which was when he really came out that he was connected with the CIA 
and Chase Brandon and all that. Also, Chase Brandon was involved with Alias. And who starred in Alias? Jennifer Garner. Do you know that I saw an interview with Ben Affleck talking about Jennifer Garner? And it was like the interviewer asked him, he's like, so who's the better spy out of you and your wife? And he started laughing. He was just like, he made a joke in the sense of, well, I won't go there because, you know, we know who wins at the house or whatever, playing it off like, you know, my wife or whatever. But the way that he was talking about it, man, was like, they probably are. <laughs> like both of them are. Like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what's really crazy, and I do want to play this clip, we were talking about recruiting for the CIA. Jennifer Garner did an actual recruitment video for the CIA. And this isn't for a movie. This is a legit recruitment video. In the real world, the CIA serves as our country's first line of defense in the ongoing war against international terrorism. CIA's mission is clear and direct. Safeguard America and its people. <laughs> you can't make that up, dude. Yeah, I know, man. It's so... That one was that one really got me when you sent that over. I was like, "Wow, man!" Like, not not, not that I didn't believe it either, because it's like so plausible. But I didn't really ever notice that. Like, and it, again, it's all these people that are playing these roles that are slowly getting your, you know, they're gaining your trust little by little. Like, man, I really like Jennifer Gardner. I really like Ben Affleck. I really like Dame, you know, Matt Damon retarded Matt Damon, stupid retarded Matt Damon. No, <laughs> like th these people have gained your trust. Like look at these huge mega stars. Look at the rock. The rock is a perfect example. I mean, yeah, his lineage lineage of his whole family was in wrestling. Right. But he has become the biggest, you know, if Hulk Hogan was huge, you know, and he kind of did some movies, but nothing was really good. But the rock has transcended wrestling into a whole nother world. And, he could be one of those guys. I mean, I don't have any proof. This is just me, you know, speculating. But I've been like, for some reason, I've been on a real kick of watching like old like biographies of wrestlers and hearing, you know, and hearing how people actually think of these guys. And he was not super liked by everybody. You know what I mean? And there was a lot of like controversy with him. And then he became this mega, mega star. How? Right. And how, how was he able to keep his name? You know, mo most people that were signed with Vince McMahon, it, that name, that property of the name, intellectual property, was owned by Vince McMahon. But yet, this guy somehow was able to keep that name that was developed in the WWF. That, that to me, is interesting as well. And then when he did that Central Intelligence movie, I was like, that's it! He's a spook! Like <laughs> well, and to your point about... Dwayne Johnson not really getting along with a lot of the wrestlers. He really didn't. There was a respect factor between him and the wrestlers that he worked with, but there was a lot that didn't like him. He, he and Triple H to this day hate each other's guts, and they had probably some of the most memorable feuds of all time, man, and The Rock and Stone Cold. Like, they get along amicably, but they were on two opposite ends of the spectrum. I mean, at the end of the day, like, The Rock's whole persona was – in a different realm. And I will say this, cause I, you know me, man, I'm a huge, huge wrestling fan. And the best wrestlers draw from who they actually are on the inside. And they're able to heighten that to become a great heel, a great face. And for people that don't know wrestling terms, that means a heels, a bad guy and a face is a good guy. 
um, they're able to do that. And that's when The Rock changed over. Because when he first came out, he came out as Rocky Maivia. And he was like, oh, Island Boy. Because that's what his yeah. whole family. Wah, 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 wah. Yeah, <laughs> right? it didn't work out very well. hated it, dude. They yeah, booed yeah. him out of there. And he was a good guy. He came back. He joined the Nation of Domination, which the Nation of Domination was like right during that era of the late 90s when you had like the dudes and the Daishikis and they were all like Black Power. Um, you had Ron Simmons run the group and he came out and joined the group, went heel and he started calling himself The Rock and his just his promos were so memorable that people just ended up liking him. It's kind of like Stone Cold. Stone Cold wasn't a great guy either, but he was kind of like that guy that you wanted to be, that you could just beat up your boss, flick your boss off. You know what I Tough mean? Tough guy, like, like yeah, drinks beer. And, and that's the thing is like, Though that, but his character was a little bit more. A lot of people liked him a lot more, like leaving. You know what I mean? But the Rock kind of rubbed people the wrong way, and and I thought like, well, is there some aspect of central intelligence or intelligence agencies that like have some kind of because they have influence everywhere? That doesn't mean that everybody knows either. I'm just saying like, for all we know, one of the guys that's writing the scripts is getting it from an agent, right? He, he might not even be writing it and not even know where he's getting it from, and he's not going to tell anybody because he wants the credit. They know how human beings work, and they're like, yeah, man, I, I just thought... I, I didn't get to dig too much into it because I was while I was uh, researching this, uh, when I would want to take a break, I'd be watching, like, bio, like, stuff on, on, you know, or the Stone Cold podcast. Like, I just thought it was interesting, and, and, and it could be an avenue that he was, you know, something like that. Because the Nation of Domination, right, was kind of like a Black Pantherish BLM, like, and it was right before, like, about not right before, but you know, it was almost a precursor to this whole Occupy Wall Street movement, which Splinter sailed into Antifa and all that. So I, I just think that, like, you know, whether again willingly or unwillingly, they they played a part in some of this stuff that's been going on. And the Rockies' babies too. He's already said that in an interview. He's babies. You see what I'm saying? Him, Adam Twenty Two, uh, uh, Tate—they're they're horrible people. <laughs> and that's a and, fact. And look how he did everybody on that show, man. I haven't really watched it, but I've seen a couple of clips of his show. Man, he did those other wrestlers dirty, man. The guy that got Stone Cold is like five six, like you know what I'm saying? <laughs> looks like a little mini Stone Cold. It's so it's so messed up, man. <laughs> But yes, they're definitely wrapped up into more things than you think. The music you're listening to, the movies you're watching, your favorite news anchor, it's your favorite uh, uh, influencer. You know, there's a lot of these influencers now that are getting scripts, especially like you were talking about the COVID stuff. They were told to say certain things about Pfizer, say certain things about COVID and lockdowns and the importance of masks and social distancing. So... That is the why we're always going hard against idolization. It's it doesn't really matter. You can listen to anybody you want. Like listen to music, li watch movies. I'm not telling you to stop. Just don't let it influence you into a way of where you're eating up every single thing these people are saying. And don't listen to me and Sean either because we are official spooks and we're just leading you down the wrong path. We actually just got our first Illuminati card last hey, week. Booyah, dog! <laughs> yes, we got called Illuminati. I, I'm, dude. I, I, I told you, it was gonna happen in a year, and it happened earlier than a year. We're moving on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, We're moving on. Quick. That was very quick. We actually hit but, psyop uh, 
and Illuminati in the same week. Within a week. Within a week. In the same week. That is crazy, man. <laughs> Who does that? Nobody can. Not everybody can do that, man. You can't pull that off. And it's funny that when people say that, though, it's always just because they disagree with you. I, I'm not saying that these people are sobs because I disagree with them. Because like you said, there's some things they say that I agree with. It's because, like, first of all, some of them just say it. You know what I mean? And then you can kind of tell when they're trying to divide. Well, I think I should get serious for a second, man. You know what I mean? I I, I just don't know if people know. Um, but there's homeless lizard people, man. And they're just on the streets, uh, been battling throughout the galaxy. You know what I mean? For decades and decades, centuries and centuries. And, and nobody cares about them. These are veterans that we need to help. So I would like you guys to go to change.org and just get this petition going to help the homeless lizard people because then people could donate money and we could actually get them off the streets. So please, please go to change.org and help the homeless lizard people. I love it, man. I'm all about lizard people. Yeah, you know, you know, because <laughs> someone got to they're not all bad. You know, some of them are like, hey, they're on our team. <laughs> well, yeah, man. And like me being a ginger and having some of that Nephilim blood, a lot of it, actually. I get it, man, because we're connected in in a way that that literally is by blood. So like I feel, literally like you bleed the same blood that they bleed. Do, man. It's like a weird, like blue, green, like goopy type of thing that happens. But, you know. We bleed just like everybody else, man. It's just different color. Don't forget that you can follow us at Kill the Mockingbirds podcast on Instagram. Kill the Mockingbirds on Telegram. And go check out our music, Sean Chris, Joel Thomas, on all music platforms. And we are in the works, uh, probably would say in a couple of months from now. I mean, I've been saying this probably since the podcast started, but we actually are making ground to uh, get the website going and to actually get our own members only, you know, site going because we're tired of, you know, we don't know how long we'll last on any of these things, whether it's Spotify, Apple, Instagram, uh, even Telegram. At some point, Telegram might come for us, right? But for now, you could go catch us there, but we are on the works. and. We got some merch coming. Shh. Oh, yeah. It's on the way. People have been blowing us up about merch, and we have got some fire designs on the way. They're actually being worked on by some great artists, so we're going to let everybody know that when they're ready. We're going to make some limited runs on some of the items that we're going to put out, but get ready, man. These items are going to be great. Also... I FaceTimed Jin Saki the other day. I got to get that Oof. off my chest. I FaceTimed. There we go. You're getting so, you're right there. And we, we did, it was about 15 seconds. She told me, fuck off. A couple times, but. Bird killers. That's how, you know, we've got that same bloodline. Her eyes flickered very uh, snake-like way when I looked at her. And. She saw that I wasn't scared, Sean. She saw that I was there. I'm there for that. I'm there for her. So as I get closer to really consummating this, I just want everybody to know, thank you so much for going to change.org. Hashtag save the gingers. Bring back Saki Bomb is where you go on change.org. 
We're getting close to 100 people that have signed the petition. Please get us to 100 because once it gets to 100, we hit the algorithm and it just goes crazy. And she'll know that I started it. And you guys are going to help true love exist in this world. Pure blood, true love. Get those lizard eyes to flicker into a heart. You know what I mean? That's how you do it. Well, since we're uh, talking into the spirit of uh, great documentaries that are coming out, you can also go check out Expedition Dogman on Tubi and Amazon Prime. And because of the honor of that, because that movie and another Skinwalker movie, that is going to premiere. And that's why you should become a, a subscriber on Instagram because you will get all the exclusive information. Let's go all with uh, Joel Thomas featuring Sean Chris. 30 hours to Utah. You know how we do it here. Wake the fuck up or get woke the fuck up. Brah! Brah! Mountains in the distant scene Trouble seems to follow me That's why I pipe my 